Episode 10, Vikings of the Pandemic, Full Circle, St. John's, Newfoundland, Spring 2026. Anna and Claire walked briskly from their house on Victoria Street to the Provincial Museum. It was located on the top of the highest hill in St. John's that had been the site of the largest fort in British North America, built to protect British interests in the fishing industry. Now it was the location of the rooms, consisting of three colorfully painted modern buildings placed in juxtaposition to one another, containing the Provincial Museum, Archives, and Art Gallery. They were visiting the head archives, Larry Walsh, who called Anna to say that they had completed their preliminary analysis of the locket. Anna and Claire were eager to find out just how old the locket was. It was lying in a metal tray on the head archivist's desk. The chain had been removed and was lying in a separate metal tray. After greeting Anna and Claire and inviting them to sit, Larry put white gloves on and carefully picked up the locket. All three wore a face mask. This is a rare a piece in a family collection than I have ever seen, said Larry. I would love to know more about how your family came to possess this locket. Larry could not keep his eyes off the locket. We have a few pieces at the museum found in Lanzo Meadows from the Viking era, and our analysis has confirmed that this locket is of the same age. I have consulted with colleagues in Norway, as that is where much of the Viking research takes place. We believe that the locket could date from 1000 AD to 1200 AD. He looked at the surprised expressions on his guest's face. Of course, we need to confirm this. Canada has a specialized lab in Ottawa that can conduct metallurgical analysis to confirm the dates. Anna was first to speak. Do you believe that this locket was made in Norway? Is that why you contacted your colleagues there? The hint that it's burnt Norwegian origin is in the shape. Larry held up the locket under a strong light for them to see. If you can see the shape of the locket, it's meant to represent a ship, a Viking ship. That provided an important clue. There are markings on both sides of the locket, hard to see without a strong magnifying glass. Through our analysis, we think one is an etching of a ship, a Viking ship, and on the other is a cross. He turned the locket over so that they could see, but only an expert with the right equipment could determine what the markings might represent. The cross, we believe, is a crusader's cross. The shape of the cross is broader at its ends than in the middle, where the lines cross. The ends are fluted. Another unusual thing is that the material used to make this finely wrought locket is bronze. Our Norwegian colleagues have seen similar artifacts that were brought back to Norway from the Holy Land during the Crusades. The King of Norway personally led Norwegians on a crusade in early 1100, and Norwegians continued participating in the Crusades over the next 200 years. Larry could see the astonishment in Anna and Claire's faces. Are you saying that this lockup belonged to a person, a Norwegian, who went on the Crusades, Anna asked? 
If we can find out the provenance of this locket, that is, your family's connection with it, we could perhaps find that out. That would depend on the written record. Can you tell me where your family originated from? Larry could scarcely contain his curiosity. The works our family are originally from the Orkney Islands. Our branch of the work family immigrated from Orkney in the latter half of the 1600s to Northern Ireland, then on to Pennsylvania in the early 1700s. This was as concise a family history as Clara could come up with. She and Anna had combed through the family history, but the only ancient history was the early settlement on Orkney Island that quoted extensively from the Orkney saga. No mention of a crusade. Larry pondered this information. He knew that Scotland and Norway had archives going back to early Christian times, but whether it contained the history of this Orkney family was another matter. He turned to the two women and smiled. Let me continue telling you what we could determine here in our museum. As you can see, we have removed the chain so that we could take a closer look at the locket. The chain is not of the same era or the same material. We could send it to Ottawa for analysis to date it. It was not difficult to remove. The clasp to the locket has probably been not been open for centuries. I asked our experts in Ottawa how one would go about opening the locket, and they said it would have to be done in a controlled environment, and the class would probably be destroyed in the process. He looked at the two women. Do you know what might be inside? The locket was likely made specifically to hold something precious, so I'm assuming that there is or was something in there. Anna spoke up. This locket was passed on to my mother Claire from her grandfather Robert Work, a surgeon practicing in Chicago. He received the locket from his aunt, a nurse, after she died during the Second World War. He also received a family history from her that we now have, and there are a few references to the locket in that history. Our understanding is that several members of the family were traditional healers and that the locket was passed down from one generation of healers to the next. I am a physician, as, in my as is my mother. This is why this locket is now in our possession. Both my mother and I believe that the locket contains medicinal plants or potions. That would make the most sense to us. Oh, an amulet, perhaps, mused Larry. Something the family used to ward off bad health or bad luck, or to promote good health. Looking at the locket in this way makes sense, since it was likely worn around the neck. Without written documentation, it's difficult to know the true facts of the matter. Like a mystery, don't you think? Claire said. It is a mystery, but Larry, knowing the time when the locket was made is a good start. We are both very curious to know what is inside, though. Anna leaned forward. I am currently working at the Cape Spear Research Lab that WHO set up to study the virus, she said. We have been charged with collecting specimens here in the north, including Labrador, Nunavut, and Greenland, that might help us control this pandemic. We have discovered that the North holds some promising treatments. Larry looked at Anna with great interest. 
Why I mention this, and I continued, is that we have a fully equipped lab at Cape Spear, including equipment that is climate controlled. My team is able to undertake detailed biochemical and genetic analysis. I'm wondering if, with your help and the help of your experts in Ottawa, we could undertake an analysis of the contents of the locket at Cape Spear. What do you think? Larry was intrigued. He could tell that Anna was very serious about her proposal, and he was curious as to why. As if she read his thoughts, Anna said, I have a feeling that finding out the contents of the locket could be important to our work, Larry. We believe that this virus evolved from an ancestral virus that originated in the Arctic 800 to 1,000 years ago. The plants inside this locket could also be that old. We might find biological evidence to back up our theory of the origins of the virus. Larry agreed to discuss Anna's proposal with the restoration experts in Ottawa, and the locket amulet was left in his care. Anna and Claire came slowly down the stairs to the main floor of the museum and passed an exhibit describing the Greenlanders' voyage to the northern peninsula in 1000 AD that caught Claire's eye. I want to see this and catch up on my Newfoundland and Viking history, Claire said. As she looked around the exhibit, Anna examined a plaque that commemorated a millennial exhibit put together by the room's cup full circle, first contact. When Claire came over to where Anna was standing, Anna pointed to a map illustrating the thesis of the full circle exhibit. The map included Greenland, Ellesmere, and Baffin Islands, now part of Nunavut, and Newfoundland and Labrador. A circle enclosed northern Greenland and the two islands, as this is where the Vikings of Greenland and the Thule Inuit of the north came into contact. Listen to this, mother, Anna said, and she quoted from the plaque. About the time of Norse expansion westward from Iceland to Greenland, culture developments in Alaska and the Bering Sea region culminated in an eastward migration of the Thule Inuit in what appears to have been a fairly rapid migration across the Canadian Arctic, the Thule Inuit reached the High Arctic and North Greenland sometime around 1200 AD. The thesis of the exhibit, Anna said, is that originally the common ancestors of both the Vikings and the Inuit came out of Africa 100,000 years ago. The ancestors of the Vikings went west to settle in Scandinavia, while the ancestors of the Inuit went east to settle in Siberia. Over 100,000 years later, they met up and made contact in Greenland around 1200 AD. That's why they call it full circle, first contact. Anna looked at her mother. The Vikings settled southern Greenland in the late 900s. They went to northern Greenland to regularly to hunt. The north of Greenland is where these two people met up. Claire looked closely at the map. And now, 800 plus years after this first contact, 
Scientists from all over the globe are here in Newfoundland and Greenland uncovering the origins of the virus, as well as the antidote to the, that the Inuit might have used in 1200 to treat the virus. They wanted to know more about this first contact. The bookstore promised to hunt down a publication called Full Circle First Contact about the exhibit. And while they were at in the bookstore, they also ordered a copy of the Orkney Saga, written around 1200 AD by Icelandic scribes. Not long after their visit to the museum, Larry Walsh called Anna. The restoration experts in Ottawa agreed to work with the team at Cape Spear to open the locket. Larry came out to Cape Spear to acquaint himself with the facility equipment, and his team made preparations to analyze the content of this locket. While waiting for this work to begin, Anna had contacted Alexander Work. Had any of the Canadian works known about the amulet? Alexander suggested she call a distant relative, Beatrice Inkster, who was an archivist at the Hudson Bay Museum and Archives in Winnipeg, Manitoba. She would be able to tell you about the works who were employed by the company in Canada. Give her a call, Alexander said. Beatrice was a descendant of a member of the work plant clan who settled in the river, river colony in the early 1800s. His name was Dr. John Work of Stromness, a physician hired by the Hudson Bay Company to provide medical care to the settlement. She was also a descendant of Reverend Magnus Inkster, also of Orkney, and a company employee. Beatrice was able to find a journal written by each of these men. John Work came to British North America as a young man, committed to providing medical care in this isolated community, carrying on a family history of healing and care. He became very knowledgeable about local medicinal plants. He married a Cree woman and conversed with the local Cree about their practices. Not many women were sent out by the company in those days, Beatrice explained. The company hired young single men who wanted adventure, and many married a native woman when they decided to settle in Canada, said Beatrice. Reverend Ingston was allowed, Ingster was allowed to bring his Orkney wife out to the settlement. We have her diary and accounts of the hardship of living in the Red River settlement. Beatrice's research did not reveal any reference to a specific family locket or amulet. It seems that the work clan that migrated to Northern Ireland, who were the Covenanters, were the ones who were in possession of this family heirloom. It makes sense. The Scots-Irish were known for the dedication to the Word of God, the Presbyterian Church, and to education and learning. I hope I'm not being too stereotypical, Anna, but about your ancestors. All immigrants to North America were faced with many hardships, and those who came to the far north had to have unique qualities as well to survive. Anna watched as Larry Walsh 
and the senior archives from the rooms gently probed the corroded clasp of the locket with their instruments, searching for a weak spot. The locket sat in a climate-controlled box with oxygen and moisture removed. Two pairs of gloves worn by Larry and his assistant protruded into the box, and a video camera attached to the roof of the box recorded their progress. The audio video transmitted to a screen in the Cape Spear lab and to the restoration experts at the National Research Facility in Ottawa who were guiding their work. A sterilized tray sat near the locket where the contents could be transferred for, any, for analysis once the locket was open. The class began to fall apart and the debris moved aside as the archives continued working. After probing the circumference of the locket, they were ready to open it up. Anna and her team looked on as the top and bottom of the locket were separated for the first time in hundreds of years. The camera documented the opening in case the contents disintegrated. The contents looked like a three-dimensional black and white photograph with faint outlines or shapes discernible. On the top, one could see elongated shape with parallel lines running down each side of what looked like a spine. That is similar in shape to our slug, thought Anna. Different fragments of shapes, difficult to see because they were covered by the top layer, looked like a leaf, a flower, or a stem. A lot of the content consisted of a grayish dust. After a few moments, the expert from Ottawa spoke. It looks like originally the content was in layers, but a lot of the material has disintegrated over time and has been mixed together. You still might be able to get genetic material out of it, though. It doesn't look like exposing the contents caused further damage, but handling of this material will be very delicate. You could try removing a layer at a time, but ultimately identification will be achieved through photography and biochemical and genetic analysis. Anna thought this locket had been opened in the, in the right place in the right time. Larry and his assistant took their hands out of the gloves and turned to Anna and her team. They did not want to remove the specimens from the locket until they had a plan of attack. Leonard printed off some still photographs from the video recording and the group convened in a conference room to decide their next steps. 3D photographs provided a more detailed picture before any more disintegration took place and they were able to see the plant layers. The painstaking work of separating the material began with each specimen put in a separate dish. Anna and Gupta did the original sorting as they were the most familiar with the medicinal plants of the north. Gupta was certain that one specimen was a coniferous plant and another was a wild berry plant. Anna salvaged the slug and also retrieved what looked like mosses and watercress. A material that looked like bark was recovered, although they were five separate dishes of specimen to analyze with the uh, sixth dish filled with a dusty mixture, and the team got to work. 
Lily would be able to complete a genetic assessment once an intact specimen was identified. The work was, was to take several weeks. The primary responsibility of the team, along with their colleagues in Greenland and St. Anthony's, was working with the pharmacologists identifying the medicinal compounds within their collection. In the early summer, Benjamin and his colleagues made some discoveries about the genetic makeup of both the consumption virus and the Inuit that explained their immunity to the virus. These discoveries were being used in the design of a vaccine. The consumption virus, he said, was a reassortment, recombination, and variant of three known viruses, influenza A, or the avian flu, coronavirus, SARS, and SARS-CoV-2, and filovirus, or the Marburg virus. The mechanism by which each of these viruses entered the host cell was by binding to a receptor protein in the host cell. The binding of the protein spikes of the virus with the protein found on the surface of a human cell determined whether infection would occur. The endolithial cells that coat the respiratory, bronchial, and blood cells of the human body were the cells most infected by this virus. The three receptor proteins on the human host cells consisted of, they determined, celiac, celiac acid for the avian flu, the ACE2, ACE2 for the two coronaviruses, and Newman dash pick C1 or NPC1 for the filovirus. What the team discovered was that the genetic makeup of the Inuit was altered just enough in these receptor proteins so that the virus protein spikes could not bind to these cells, thereby creating a natural immunity to the consumption virus. The team's conclusion was that this genetic alteration was influenced by the environment and from habitual intake of a material that contributed to this variation. In the summer of 2026, the WHO team in St. John's completed its handoff of their research and data to those involved with the design and testing of pharmaceutical compounds to be used against the consumption virus. Lily and her family moved back to Japan where she would continue her work for WHO and Gupta would be returning to India soon, working with the pharmaceutical industry in that, in that country. The role of the WHO Northern team and researchers who remained was redefined. They and others would now be focusing on climate change and its impact on human health. Anna and Benjamin decided to remain in St. John's to continue this important work.
the Cambridge Bay Research Center, where Christina Anowak was based, became the center for researching new medicinal discoveries out of the Arctic. Anna was determined to find out if there was a connection with the work family locket and the consumption virus. She and her mother combed again through the family history looking for references to the locket amulet. The history occasionally mentioned a female ancestor as a healer. For example, the two sisters who were abolitionists in the mid-1800s were known for their knowledge of medicinal plants. A family heirloom, heirloom was in their possession and it was mentioned, but no word about how it was used. Before the team broke up, they held a meeting with Larry Walsh from the museum to review their findings. The locket and the chain had been sent to the National Research Facility in Ottawa for carbon testing. It sat before them on the conference table, together with the contents now contained in vacutainer tubes. Christina Anowak was also present. Garvin testing confirmed that the locket was cast probably in the Holy Land around 1100 AD. Gupta and Leonard confirmed that the carnivorous plant, as well as the mosses and watercress in the locket, were collected around 1000 AD. They were genetically similar to those they, the team had recently collected on the limestone barrier and contained similar medicinal compounds. The bottom layer of plants in the locket were placed in the locket after it was made. The owners of this locket were near the limestone barrier in 1000 AD and in the Holy Land in 1100 AD. Anna confirmed that the mollusk specimen in the locket amulet collected around 1200 AD was genetically similar to the Arctic slug that was collected in Greenland this past summer and contained some of the same medicinal compounds. The owner of the locket or amulet was in northern Greenland around 1200 AD and opened the locket up to place the slug on top of the other plants. Larry Walsh sat back and looked around the room. He was an historian sitting with scientists who had cracked open the secret of the deadly virus that was sleeping the globe, leaving millions dead. Among the scientists was Anna, an American physician coming from a family of physicians and traditional healers whose ancestors came from Orkney Island. This family left Orkney centuries ago, but carried with them a locket, an amulet, that had been handed down from one healer to the next. For the past several hundred years, the amulet lay dormant, no one knowing about its origins or its powers. But in 2025, during this pandemic, this locket was miraculously brought back to Newfoundland, the place where the first medicinal plants were collected. Larry spoke up. They all needed to make sense of the evidence before them. He thought an historian was the best person to do this. 
I will take a plunge here and try to explain the connections between this locket that originated in Orkney and the medicinal plants in Newfoundland. Number one, the people of Orkney were known for their sailing ability. If you've read the Orkney Saga, you will know that many Arcadians were Vikings. In 1000 AD, an Arcadian sailed to Newfoundland, possibly with fellow Vikings of Greenland. When the Arcadian visited Lonsel Meadows, he was given these plants by local natives. Number two, an Arcadian, 100 years later, sailed to the Holy Land. We know that the King of Norway personally led a crusade to the Holy Land in the 1100s, and this Arcadian was with some Norwegians who followed the king. Plague and diseases struck the Holy Land constantly, and the Arcadian took the plants collected by his ancestor in Newfoundland for protection. While there, he had a locket made to preserve these plants. Number three. The locket was opened in 1200 AD, and the slug was placed on top of the plants. How could this happen? There were many connections between the people of the Nordic archipelago, Orkney, Shetland, Faroe Islands, Iceland, and Greenland. An Arcadian trader who traveled regularly to Greenland would have been looking for furs and sealskin and ivory. He went to northern Greenland on a hunting trip with some Greenlanders in 1200 A.D. There he found out about the slug that healed the Inuit from the plague that was sweeping their land. Larry continued, Whoever had possession of this locket was very interested and curious about traditional medicine. They held a strong belief in the healing power of these strange new plants, enough to preserve them in a specially made locket. Not only was the locket passed down through future generations, but knowledge of medicine was passed down as well. And today, here sits Anna Work, a descendant of Orkney, who is highly trained, a physician and a biochemist. This is quite an extraordinary adventure your team has been on, Larry concluded, and speaks to the openness with which you approached your difficult tasks. The world was desperate for a cure. You, you allowed yourself to entertain the thought that a traditional medicine of the Inuit people could be the antidote that the world was looking for. Larry turned to Christina. In many ways, this discovery belongs to your people, Christina. Christina looked at her teammates. It took all of us to complete this work. The climate scientist, the oceanographer, the biochemist, the geneticist. This pandemic that has overwhelmed the world is caused by something that cannot be seen with the naked eye. A year ago, we did not know that its origins were in the north. It came out of seclusion because of our melting ice and from here swept down around the world. Our analysis of this locket confirms the truth of our oral histories. My people's stories of a terrible plague hundreds of years ago, when there was a warming period, turned out to have some basis in fact. Today, the Inuit are naturally immune to this virus, and now we know why. 
What is so amazing to me, said Christina, looking at Anna, is that an Arcadian way back in 1200 AD preserved the cure for today's deadly virus in a family amulet. It took a pandemic to realize the importance of this cure. As a team, we were able to pull the different strands of the story together. It has been a long journey, but we are now saving people's lives. Anna returned to her home in Victoria Street in St. John's, feeling drained by the journey she and her fellow team members had been on for the past year. Her mother, Claire, her husband, Benjamin, and her two children, Samantha and Alexander, were at home waiting for her. At dinner, her mind wandered. Was it exhaustion, or was she just trying to digest it all? She had brought the locket home with her and wanted to tell her children all about it, but she wasn't sure how to do this. Anna thought back to Thurgood and his ability to summarize the research they were doing in a story format. She thought of herself, saw, to herself, I'm going to tell a story too to my children about my ancestors and how the locket came back here to Newfoundland and the role that it played in fighting this pandemic. She excused herself from the table, and that evening she sat down to compose a story that flowed out of her like a river. A few nights later, when all of them were sitting in the living room in front of the fire on a chilly summer night, Anna brought out the white box that Rachel had passed on to Robert, containing the precious family heirloom, the family amulet. She told the following story.